Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. This is part two, our two-part series on suicide and understanding and healing. We're going to feature three incredible guests. We're going to focus on the metaphysical aspects and the healing aspects of suicide. And if you are feeling severely depressed and you're thinking about suicide, please call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. That is 1-800-273-8255. At the end of our featured interviews, we're going to present this beautiful prayer by Jeff Casper and Yona Brindis. It's this musical compilation. It's a few minutes long, but it, it is just going to uplift your spirit. And I'm so thankful we're going to end the show that way. Let us begin tonight's program. Welcome back to the program is Miss Carol Brody Fleet. She is an award-winning author. She's a grief expert. And I love the name of one of her books, Loss is a Four-Letter Word. You can learn more about Miss Fleet by going to her website at widowswearstilettos.com. Miss Fleet, welcome back to the program. It's great to be back with you, Ryan. Thank you. From your perspective, what are some of the things that a person who has lost someone to suicide can do? What are some of the ways that they can best begin their healing process or continue their healing process? The first thing that I need to convey is understand that this is not your fault. This is not something that you need to mire yourself in guilt over for years and years to come. And I really need survivors to embrace that. It's suicide as a whole, it's so hard for us to get our head around the concept. But for survivors of a suicide, the first and certainly most natural thing is the could have, would have, should have. And they can spend many years really beating themselves up over the fact that I should have been able to stop this if I had been there sooner, if I hadn't left, if I hadn't stayed. If I... And I really need survivors to hear that somebody who is in that place in their head, that this is something that they're going to do. They're not thinking of you and, stop, and you're going to stop them or, or what have you. And in some cases, your being there could have even created a greater tragedy. So please, please do not spend time beating yourself up about it. Focus your time on how you're going to recover and move forward. That we can help you do. Ms. Fleet, do you find that people who are suicidal, who have committed suicide, that they were going to do that almost anyway, regardless? I mean, is it usually what people think, oh, well, I could have said this or I could have done that? Is it a word, thought, or action that potentially could have changed them? Or do you think that when people have been thinking about suicide for a while and they've been rehearsing it in their minds, that it's only a matter of time before they probably would have succeeded unless they had some kind of fundamental shift and change? The the that that's that's a very it, it's a broad question, and I I'm going to try and narrow it. It's really hard again to get behind a, the rationale, if you will, of a suicidal mind. We know of you know many many people will think about it, they'll ideate it. 
they might even attempt it and, you know, thankfully fail so they can be gotten the help and can be taught to see that today isn't forever, that despair doesn't have to determine destiny. Um, and then, yes, some people, once they have made up their mind that that's what they're going to do, that's what they're going to do. And so when, when you hear somebody say in reaction to the news that a suicide has been committed, well, that was selfish, or, and, or they had everything to live for, or they were so pretty or so handsome or so well off, you know, why would they do that to their family? Or, you know, I would have snapped them out of it. Comments like that from the people who surround suicide survivors or somebody who is acquainted with someone who died by suicide, they're not helpful. And by and large, in a suicidal ideated mind, they're not true. The matter that you're pretty or handsome or financially secure or what have you have very little to do with everything. You know, the reasons behind resorting to suicide are as varied as, you know, the number of people there are in the world. But one of the common denominators among suicide victims or those who attempt suicide and fail is that they're in so much pain. And that pain can be physical. It can be mental. It can be emotional. It can be a combination. They don't see a way through. They can't see past that pain. And then because they're in that place of pain, which is, of course, accompanied by depression they don't they, they feel like a burden they feel that, like they're bringing everybody down these are people that don't necessarily want to feel better you know that they, they just don't want to feel they don't want to feel anything at all so the fact that they're that they they seem to have everything going for them is really it, it's of no consequence because if someone is in that place all of the everything in the world is is totally irrelevant what are some of the things that a person can do to help another person who has lost someone close to suicide? What, what can the average person do? Well, the first thing that we're going to do is not say any of the things that I just said. We're not going to, don't ask, you know, did they leave a note? If they left a note or they left any kind of indication or organization, uh, the person who is the direct survivor will tell you. They, they, will, they will give you all the details. So let's not, you know, opine or start digging into, well, what was wrong? And did they seem depressed? And they, they, because you are causing the, the, the person who needs your love and support and your understanding, they're going to start questioning themselves again. They're going to say, why didn't I see the signs? Why didn't I see? So let's not do any of that. The first and best thing you can do is listen just listen, and the survivor will, they, they will prompt the questions, and the, and the questions will be, you know, legit. If, if they said, yes, they left a note, don't ask them for the contents of it. If they want to share it, they will. You know, right after my late husband passed away, we had two suicides in our family within three years' time, and they were both elderly uncles. Both of them were dealing with serious health issues at the time. And one of my uncles who committed suicide 10 days before Mike passed away uh, was very, very methodical and organized to a fault. I, he left out his wallet and he left out the papers and he everything was in its place. 
and he left notes, and one of those notes was to my mother. To this day, she has never shared that note, the contents of that note with me, and to this day, I've never asked her to. That is intensely personal and private, and if that information is volunteered, receive it and embrace it, but if it's not, leave it alone. Sometimes there is no note uh, left, and that's very frustrating to everybody because we all want to know why. We don't like unanswered questions in our society. And sometimes we're never going to know why. We're never going to understand motives. We're never going to understand why they resorted to this. And we have to embrace that. So the first and best thing you can do is listen. If somebody wants to cry, let them. If they are trying to take all the guilt onto themselves, Take them by the hand, look into their eyes, and say, this is not about you. You are not the cause of this. Because sadly, tragically, disgustingly, some people do want to blame the survivor. They do. If you had been there, they would not have done this. If you had not left them alone, they would not have done this. Nobody can be around anybody 24 hours a day. So... You need to be the safe haven. Be the person that the survivor can talk to about anything and not and, and know that you're not going to judge. You're not going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to say things like I can't be I can't believe how selfish they were. We have to get behind the eyes of the suicidal ideated mind and that's hard to do but we have to understand that when we're saying things like how selfish yeah it seems selfish to us we aren't in that suicidal place we don't know what they're feeling we don't know what they're going through we don't know the mapping of the brain so we're we're not we're going to reserve judgment forever i also would have everybody encourage a suicidal survivor to get to avenues of support, whether that is online or in person. Uh, suicidal survivor groups are plentiful, and they will, they will only be too happy to welcome you and put their arms around you. And you don't have to do this by yourself. That's really the, 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 the common thread through anything that I teach having to do with loss. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to figure this out by yourself. There are phenomenal books on the subject. Uh, the, the book that you referenced, and thank you for that, does discuss a suicidal survival. And also it talks to people who may be contemplating it because they're a survivor of it, if, if you understand what I mean. So uh, to those people, I want to remind you that 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-TALK is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and they speak to suicide survivors as well. And they are 24-7, 365 days a year. You don't have to do this alone. Ms. Carol Brody-Fleet, I want to thank you so much for appearing back on our show. I, I think you're, you're wonderful, amazing. You're such a beautiful spirit for coming on our program. And I always think that you, you offer a tremendous amount of insight, and I think you're very helpful. To learn more about Ms. Fleet, please go to our website at widowswearstilettos.com. She's also, again, author of the book, Loss is a Four-Letter Word, 
And you can also hear previous interviews with Ms. Fleet on our death show that we did, and we had her on for two different uh, segments. So, Ms. Fleet, thank you so much. Great honor to have you with us. It's my privilege to be with you. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Mr. Jeff Casper and Ms. Yona Brindis, metaphysical teachers and energy light workers. They are fantastic. We also host a, another show together called Heart Wars Radio. To learn more about Ms. Yona and Mr. Jeff Casper by going to the website at transcodes.com. Ms. Brindis, Mr. Casper, welcome back to the program. Hi, Ryan. Hey, hey Ryan. Thank you. you know, first off, I just want to say it's a great honor to know you both. I have so much love, respect, and admiration for all the things that we're doing together, and I'm so glad you were able to be a part of this program mm -hmm. as far as your perspective on suicide goes because you look at the human soul. You can visually see a human soul, its evolution, in a way that most people can't. What do you see when a person is very depressed or suicidal? What are you seeing within their energetic fields that are happening? And is there, are there any common root causes of these uh, frequencies that would put a person on a path to self-destruction? I think the easiest way to visualize what we see mm -hmm. in a person who is that low that um, he or she feels that life doesn't make any sense or, uh, you know, that, that you're doomed no matter what you do or that you're forsaken is a, a really strong disconnect, a really strong disconnect from, like, the big, you know, whatever you call that, if you call that God or if you call that spirit or source mm -hmm. or divine. There is this uh, sort of split off part in that person that the person is temporarily stuck in, yep. temporarily stuck in, and he or she can't find a way back to their source of power. Okay, so it looks like, you know, a tiny little bubble, bubble that split off from the big bubble. Okay, mm -hmm. and it it's completely lost. It's almost like they're compartmentalized, like they're stuck in that space only, and they have forgotten their access. They haven't lost it. They've forgotten their access. And, you know, as far as the causes is concerned, since uh, we are energy workers and energy healers and we see energies and work with energies, mm -hmm. um, we have a very simple explanation for that. Because every emotion, every feeling, every even every thought process that a person has uh, can be seen as energetic state. Mm -hmm. And there are states um, that are at the very bottom. Like if you if you picture energetic states, maybe like a scale from zero to ten or something, or from zero to hundred. You know, when somebody is um, playing with the thought of uh, taking his or her own life, um, the the energetic power that that person has at that very moment is roughly, you know, one. It's if like, you're like just yeah. right above zero. You're right above death. Yeah. yeah. So seeing it as an energetic state, and that's usually what we help people with who mm -hmm. are suicidal, you know, to help them refrain that this is just a temporary state, right. okay? That this connection that they can't feel at that very moment is still there, you yeah. know, that they just need to find their way back there. But understanding that, you know, it's, it's an, an energy that we are caught in. It's kind of like like with weather conditions, you know. When you are caught in a winter storm, it's really hard to remember or to imagine yourself walking around in your swim trunks, 
right? Because you like so caught in that experience mm-hmm. at that very moment that everything appears, you know, the way you perceive your life seems to be real. But the truth is, though, that it's not real. It's like a filter. It's like, yes. you know, yes, it may suck right now. It may be a really low place in your life. It, it, this blizzard that you caught it <laughs> is real. But that doesn't mean that it, the sun is not going to come out tomorrow and, right. you know, everything is going to go back to normal. But when you're in that state, you literally believe that it will be like this forever Mm -hmm. and the detrimental part about this Ryan and this is why so many people you know end up in these really desperate situations is that it makes subjectively it makes us feel alone and we don't have enough power at that very Mm -hmm. moment to pull ourselves out of it this is a state that requires human connection Mm -hmm. it requires somebody else you know, a person, another human, you know, the connection with someone else to actually, you know, make a person feel that again. So it is subjectively very real at that moment, but it is not necessarily true. So when another human comes in, this can be, this access can be felt again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's do a visualization. You examine a human soul. You see a soul that's having frequencies and energies that it is affected by all different types of things. Stimuli, internal, external, has events that it's responding to. And then we're talking about a person who is suicidal. We're also talking in the same token about a a family member or a friend who has lost someone close to suicide. Both, Both souls, maybe they're very depressed. What are three things that both of these individuals can do to improve their well-being from an energetic perspective or looking at the soul level? Can they listen to certain types of music? Are there certain types of uh, places outside they can go to that energetically speaking are going to have a greater impact on their soul and spirit that will hopefully have an impact and further manifest into a beautiful physical state? What are some of your insights and advice on that? The number one um, thing that a person can do when they go into that place is to reach out. Mm -hmm. Reach out to somebody, even if it is a stranger on a suicide hotline or a neighbor or whatever, to reach out because you are literally not able to pull yourself out of that place alone. Yeah. The the key thing there, what Yona means is, but at least in my view, is that when a person's that low, they have to have some form of attention, some form of love poured into them. So they can feel that there actually is someone out there. There is something out there that cares about them. It's vital. And there are many things you can do. Um, you know, the key one, I, I think right there, what Yona said, number one, is you reach out. You find people that know what to do in these situations. And then other things such as, you know, finding ways to laugh, uh, add, adding in beautiful music, um, you know, going for a walk. But when you're really low, the key thing is to reach out primary. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. one thing that helps uh, many people um, to not follow through is actually pets mm-hmm. or to have uh, something outside of yourself yes. to care for. Yes. If there is just one thing that you really care for, 
you know that mm -hmm. you know and pets are usually really good for this because they they love you unconditionally mm -hmm. if there's just one thing where you can feel this unconditional love so connection with nature and animals um, can bring that back mm -hmm. at least the the hope or the faith you know that there is something there right and part of that is you learn to not fixate on yourself a lot of these lower vibrational energies where it starts to go towards someone considering ending their own life is because they're so fixated on how bad it is for themselves that they don't see the connection to everything else and that so by learning to, to, to take care of pets, taking care of plants even, focusing on children, all those things remind them of that connection to everything else. And if you have lost, it's coming back, if you've lost someone close to suicide, what are some of the ways that you can heal yourself or begin to have a firmer grasp and understanding of the tragedy that has happened in your life? Can you, do you need to... Can you go and, and discover a healing beyond organized religion? Can you find are there are there universal ways of healing your spirit that do not need to follow any pentameters of religion or conventional forms of spirituality? Well, the biggest thing, like you know, you want to mention for the people who actually have tried or actually been successful in killing themselves, is to reach out to find groups, to find situations, to find uh, people that they can talk to these things about that understand suicide that understand the grief process involved the pain process involved so they can begin to actually talk about their feelings talk about their pain so they too can begin to heal yeah there's yeah. a there's a level of um uh, of processing that happens right. when you lose someone to suicide regardless of what religion you are from mm -hmm. that is very difficult to understand for other people yeah. um it you know to lose a child or a, a partner or um a family member to suicide um inevitably brings in feelings of guilt um uh, you know, like where you ask yourself if there's anything that you could have done differently or if you missed out on a chance or, right. you know, there's a lot of, um, besides just the loss of the person, there's a lot of grief in, in regards to oneself, right. you know, that needs to be processed. And so often um, it's the best to find self-help groups yes. of uh, people who have gone through similar loss. Now, the, the, the second thing is that, you know, if you look at what, um, you know, really comes up when you go through um, trying to process and trying to heal from this is, is that you'll see that there are things that, um, you know, perhaps have to do with you, you know, mm -hmm. the, like, you know, sometimes it's it's completely unrelated and you know that but sometimes it's not sometimes you know when you when like say your husband commits suicide right i mean it immediately reflects back onto you and there is a need for healing it is com comparable with the trauma mm -hmm. you know so with like uh, uh, similar things that, that one would recommend for people who have gone through you know uh, other kinds of severe trauma you know, that require therapy, that yeah. require professional counseling or energy healing. Mm -hmm. Mr. Jeff Casper, Ms. Jonah Brennis, I want to thank you so much for sharing your perspectives today. Really, really helpful, very powerful. To learn more about Jeff and Yona, please go to the website at transcodes.com. Thank you so much. Welcoming back to the program he is a dear, dear friend and best-selling author 
Miss Nancy Dannison. She had an after-death experience. She died, and she experienced some things that very few of us have experienced. Well, actually, maybe I think all of us have experienced, but we probably don't remember experiencing it. Nancy is author of a terrific new book, Create a New Reality, Move Beyond Law of Attraction Theory. You can learn more about Ms. Dannison by going to her website at backwardsbooks.com. Ms. Dannison, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Excellent. Nancy comes back on our show so often that she has her own easy chair and keys to the house. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy. I need more donuts in the pantry, though, Ryan. <laughs> well, that's, there's never enough donuts in there because I'm always eating them, which is why they, they, when I jump on the scale, it goes, move. So, well, I know. <laughs> Joking aside. We are going to focus on a very serious topic, which is about suicide. And as somebody who physically died and you merged in with source, which you would people consider, I don't know, God, the, the, the one consciousness, the one frequency, what is your perspective on suicide having experienced clinical death yourself? I was actually given knowings about suicide uh, while I was in the afterlife. It was part of the information I was given about incarnation and reincarnation. And I was shown through this information about reincarnation that not only do we choose the kind of human or other life we want to have, but we, we kind of choose an exit strategy from that life. So death is never something that is forced on us or that is accidental. It is something that we may choose to enter into voluntarily because we've completed the goals that we sought to fulfill for this life. And believe me, I know how devastating it is to have a loved one commit suicide. My brother, who was more like a son to me than a brother, committed suicide um, while I was still in cancer treatments, and I did not think I was going to recover from that. They pick and choose when they can go out, but if somebody is on that, is on the edge and they're contemplating suicide, I mean, is there a right or wrong answer? Because maybe, I mean, should they should they go through it? Do they not go through it? I mean, what, having that wider perspective, what is the indication that that they should hold on and fight and continue to stick stick around? How do they know that uh, maybe there's a reason that they're hanging on? If they're they're hung on this long, do you think it could be the fact that maybe they haven't completed their their life purpose yet? Unfortunately, I feel like that we, while we're inside these human bodies, don't know what our plans are for this life. We don't know what our exit strategy is. And so we don't know whether we've completed our goals or what we should do. So, you know, suicide may be something that the soul chooses because it has been successful in this life. It has done everything it wanted to do and, and you know, is celebrating going back home. Or it could be something that the body chooses to do because, you know, bodies have the fight, flight, or freeze response to trauma. And suicide is a, a way of flight. It's a way to run away or get away from intolerable pain 
emotional or physical pain. And it, it's a decision that makes sense for the body. But we just can't know while we're inside these bodies which it is. And we can't know for sure what we should do. So to my way of thinking, as somebody who's in this situation where they're contemplating it, it takes a lot of courage to even think about it because it goes completely against the grain of you know the human survival instinct. And having been, uh, having actually died several times and been close to death and wanting to die <laughs> several times, I know what a tremendously difficult decision and thought process and how heartrending it is. All I can really do at this point is assure everyone that we continue to live when we get out of these bodies. We continue to be the same person we were inside these bodies. And when we go into the afterlife, we meet up with the same loved ones that we have in human life and other loved ones from other lifetimes. Because I was told in the afterlife that when we incarnate, only part of our energy goes into the human. The rest of us stays in the afterlife. So we're never separated from our loved ones. We're always in, in communication with them in the afterlife. We're just not aware of it while we're inside these bodies, the part of us that's inside these bodies. That's awesome. And when a we look at life right now through human eyes, the human perspective, and it seems like it could drag years, take a long time. But from your perspective, having been dead and having been in the afterlife, how, how, what is time in the greater scheme of things in human bodies? Is it quick? Is it really is a blink in an eye compared to what life is like in our true soul form? There is no time in the afterlife. And that's a very difficult concept for people to understand. And I was, I was told that, you know, because we are unconditionally loving and that unconditional covers so much territory. I mean, we are so willing to do anything for a loved one that we volunteer to come into a lifetime of suffering if it's going to benefit one of our loved ones in some way. And while for the human, it might feel like 83 years of nonstop pain and agony, once we get out of the body and go into the afterlife, looking back on it, it's like two seconds. Wow. Half. You know, that whole life was like two seconds. And we are more than willing to spend two seconds of our eternal life doing something that benefits somebody we love. And Ms. Tannison... You've heard a lot, I guess some religions and other spiritual philosophies that say, well, if you kill yourself, if you commit suicide, you are condemning yourself to this, this damnation. And if you kill yourself, you have to choose another life incarnation. You have to repeat the same experiences you had because, uh, you know, committing suicide is completely against the grain. It is it is the worst thing you could do. What are you, how do you respond to that? Because it seems to be something that all these religions share. They all view it as a very negative thing. Well, religions are all created by humans. And that, what you just said, is a very human perspective. For humans, suicide is a cardinal sin. 
because it's the exact opposite of everything a human is designed to do, which is survive. So for a human, it looks like it's a failure. For the light being soul inside the human, though, it's a success. It's the completion of a journey. It's the achievement of a goal. It's going home where we are loved unconditionally, accepted unconditionally. So there's just not the same kind of connotation in the afterlife for suicide that that humans have. Humans are judgmental. Everything's got to be good or bad. You know, they put a judgment on everything because of a survival instinct. But in the afterlife, we don't have to worry about survival. We're eternal. So nobody in the afterlife cares, you know, whether a human commits suicide. Um, And no, there's no... There's no possible way you would repeat the same lifetime. It's, it's, not, it's not physically conceivable because each incarnation is unique and each human body that you incarnate into is unique. And you wouldn't even remember you know, what happened in a previous life. So how, how could you possibly repeat the same choices and, and repeat the same life events with different people? That kind of thinking comes from a religious belief that God controls our lives. And I learned in the afterlife that that's not true. Our creator created us to be free spirits, to, be, to have free will, and to manifest for ourselves whatever we want. And it is not controlled or dictated or planned or pre-planned by our creator. Nancy, in your books and some of our previous interviews, you've discussed this idea or this experience that's actually shared by several other people who've had near-death, well, after-death experiences, that when you die, you get something called a a life review where every single action that you have done, you experience, remember it firsthand, vividly, and you experience it from the perspective of all these other people. So if a person commits suicide even though they're the reactions of the people around them, their loved ones, their friends, their associates, occur after they are dead, do they still experience the pain and suffering as a direct result of their action to commit suicide? I don't know. I mean, it seemed to me that you know, when I experienced my life review, every single moment, every single thought, every single everything, you know, that I, even things I didn't do, but things I just thought about doing, those were all in my life review. So it seems to me that logically speaking, because suicide generally takes some planning, that um, that part of the life and its ripple effect on other people would be in the life review. Sometimes people have this idea, okay, well, if somebody has committed suicide, that they're in a bad place and pray for them. Is that person okay? Is anyone who died, no matter what they did, are they all in a peaceful place? I was given a completely different view of life than what I had learned through 12 years of Catholic education and six years of Methodist college. And that was that we do not exist separate from our creator. 
we have not been cast onto this earth until we have to earn our way to heaven. We are literally parts of our creator's own self-awareness and own consciousness. We're kind of like, although much more sophisticated version, we're kind of like dream characters in the creator's mind. And just like, you know, we have dream characters in our mind and we have little environments that they interact in and we participate in the dream from inside one of the characters. What our creator, what I call source does is it participates in this universe that it, that it created, that it imagined by putting itself inside, you know, different persons, places and things um, and experiencing physical life through those creatures and things. And Nancy, a lot of question I have for you is somebody's listening to this right now and they are suicidal and they are feeling very depressed, yet there's something that's in them that is not pushing. They're, 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 for some reason, they're hanging around. For whatever reason, conscious of conscious, they're hanging around. I don't know. I, I, I want to believe that there's something in them that, that's wanting them to be here. What reasons would you offer people to continue being alive as opposed to commit to, to dying? Well, are there any good things you know that, okay, you've, you've been in a physical body, you've also experienced life outside the physical body. What can we do within this physical body that is worth sticking around for? Oh, so many things, so many things. When I first got into the afterlife and I was just kind of like hanging out in the light by myself, there wasn't anything to see or do, so I started thinking, you know, taking stock of what my current situation was. And I realized that I missed chocolate. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really missed chocolate and, you know, the afterlife and I missed food and I missed the feel of wind on my face and the touch of skin. You know, when we're in the afterlife, we don't have physical bodies. We don't have the sensations that we do when we're inside human bodies. We can't hug somebody and feel the hug. We can't stroke someone's hair and feel hair. We don't have a heartbeat. We don't have breathing. We don't have any of that. And so when I came back into my body, first thing I did is I decided I was going to eat more chocolate. <laughs> the, second, the second thing was, I resolved, like many near-death experiencers do, to appreciate what we have when we're in physical bodies, the things that we can feel and smell and see and touch, and the kind of love that we can show in a physical body. You know, when we're in the afterlife, we have unconditional love for everyone, and that is blissful, but it's not direct one-on-one. When we're inside these bodies, we can love another person one-on-one. -on -one. We can touch them. We can stroke them. We can hold them. We can talk to them. We can relate to them. And it's so different in the afterlife. I mean, it's wonderful, but this is wonderful too. And that's why we choose to incarnate because living physical life is wonderful us and there's so many things to live for so many things so if you're listening right now 
I mean, look, physical body. I imagine it's probably a tough time getting here. I, I don't. You're in physical body, all these great things. So, if you haven't taken that trip, if you haven't talked to a person, if there's so many other things you haven't done yet, I mean, look, you're here. You're here now. You can uh, have chocolate. Actually, that would be my own. That would be my biggest reason for staying here, too, Miss Tennyson. I want to stick chocolate and Cheetos. So. Um, well, I mean, it, it sounds you know silly. But it's I don't think it's true. not silly at all. I mean, it's... No, I, I love Cheetos. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going anytime soon. I'm like, like, nope, nope. So I'm not sticking around for my family and friends. I'm sticking here for the Cheetos. That's, what, that's, that's my anchor here. And if somebody's contemplating suicide, there are people to talk to. I mean, generally, someone uh, contemplating ending their life is to get away from pain. There are other ways to get away from pain. They may not be obvious. They may not be simple, but they're there. And if we are willing to allow other people to help us, we can escape pain with their help. I also learned in the afterlife that we can learn to consciously manifest our own physical health and our own physical health status. We can learn to eliminate or reduce pain in our bodies and in our in our emotions through the power of manifesting and we can do that while we're inside the body so there are other ways to get away from the pain or the, the fear or whatever it is that's driving a person to contemplate suicide Excellent. and to let everyone know that one of our previous interviews we did Nancy we actually focus entirely about her book about manifesting but to just give a quick recap on how to manifest, can you please explain how a person can do that as in terms of healing the body? Is it, do you offer a prayer? Do you meditate? Like what are some of the key components of just manifesting you know, positive energy or positive health that would kind of lead a person away from the situation they currently find themselves in? I learned in the afterlife that you know, unlike what I was taught in my religion, you know, I was taught that God controls our life and sends, sends punishments and sends benefits for, according to some formula we can never figure out. I learned that we actually create our own lives. And so, and I, I know that's hard to accept and it's hard to believe that somebody would create pain for themselves. Some pain, you know, physical pain of the body is caused by, you know, health issues. That can be improved through using conscious manifesting, which is focusing your spiritual attention and intention to healing, to reducing pain. And in my book, Create a New Reality, I've got a chapter on self-healing that walks you through the steps of how to do that, how to manage chronic illnesses and chronic pain. And they're, they're all things that I've done myself successfully. There are also, um, I was told that manifesting can be used, conscious manifesting can be used to change an entire course of your life by fixing what we've been unconsciously creating in our lives. So we create our lives and to match up with what we truly and deeply believe about ourselves, about life, and about our place in life. And we pick up these beliefs from the time we're little tiny babies all the way through life. And many of us have 
come to believe things that are just not true. We, we learned it when we were a baby and we just didn't realize that we've been spending an entire lifetime creating events to match that belief. So if you picked up a belief while you were a child that you weren't wanted by your parents, I mean, just think of the emotional impact that would have on a person. And maybe that belief was entirely false. The baby or the child completely misinterpreted something. And if they had correctly understood the situation, they would not have created that belief. But still, they've manifested an entire lifetime of events to prove that their parents didn't want them and that they weren't worth loving. And if you go back and you find that belief and you look at it in the light of day and realize, well, you know, that was just crazy that I thought that, you know, look at it as an adult, you can let go of it and then you won't manifest events to match that belief anymore. And I've done that too. It's incredible. I always think that your methodology of manifesting is so simplistic and I assure you, people out there listening, if you try Nancy's methods, you're probably going to be really surprised about what you can do in your life, especially if you're in a tremendous amount of pain. Miss Nancy Dennison, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, Nancy, best-selling author, dearly beloved friend of the Adelaide Divinity Truth radio show. You can learn more about Miss Dennison by going to her website at backwardsbooks.com. Again, her book is Create a New Reality, Move Beyond the Law of Attraction. Highly recommended. Miss Nancy Dennison, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Ryan. And that concludes our interviews. And now we're going to present a prayer called Remember Your Light, Deep Peace to You. This is by Jeff Casper, Yona Brindis. Highly recommend you listen to this in a relaxed place with earphones on. Just focus your, your energy on the sounds and the words that are being spoken.
observing the highest good for all. I let go in love and accept all as is. Nothing needs to be controlled. Nothing needs to be worried about. Nothing is important. Only my connection deep within and the love I feel for myself. at all times. 
And that concludes part two of our program on suicide and understanding and healing. We sincerely hope that there are some parts of our show this evening that we're able to offer you some measure of peace. Again, if you're feeling depressed, we love you so much. Please seek help immediately. Call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. If you think that any part of the show was able to help you and you think it can help someone else, help someone else, please don't hesitate to share it. Thank you so much. And to learn more about the Outer Limits of Any Truth Radio show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com.